Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Controversial subjects with the facts can be tense, but we are a sub science here to make things make sense. Today, we are talking about conspiracies, misinformation, and all the stuff that's going on in the world right now, a little bit about 5G. We actually are going to be talking in the second half of the podcast with a professor from Harvard because we were just curious about how these things spread and wanted to get to the bottom of it. So let's chat. Ooh, let's chat. Bye-bye. Let's chat. Um, Greg's a little upset at me right now. I am not. <laughs> am I allowed oh to talk God. about this on the podcast? <laughs> um, so I'm a joke thief. I'll admit it. I, uh, but there's, okay, there's a story here. So I posted a joke on TikTok that. When did you post it? Um, yesterday, I think. Wow. Okay. Uh, wow. Okay. It was a joke that Greg does make in one of his comedy sets, or it was a play on one of those jokes. But about a week and a half ago, I was like, you should put that on TikTok to that sound that goes like, um, wait wait a a damn damn minute. minute. (laughs) Wait a damn minute. And because I like love that noise, and I was like, that joke goes perfectly because you don't have to say anything, you just write it. Weeks go by, hasn't posted it. I'm like, I'm pretty (laughs) sure you told me about this last Saturday after a couple of glasses of natural orange wine. I forgot. Okay, so now he's upset that his joke is going popular with me on it. He's like, well, no one's going to know it's my joke. I got it tested my comedy set. I, okay. I'm not necessarily, I mean, it's a little vindicating to be like, wow, I guess that's a really good joke. It has, what 500,000 views and it's something it, like it's that it's like it's 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 it going ha- viral sure we don't know though sometimes tiktok things just like stop so like it could be done it um no i think it is nice because it, it was a great joke, a joke, joke and i didn't I mean to steal it i didn't mean to steal it i know the comedy world is like kind of interesting because people don't necessarily always like want to share their stuff online because they want to save it for their sets is that like what you've been thinking about well to be honest like i think no, the main. Okay, I'm not. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not trying to put you on the spot. I'm no, more no. Mean, I think I more mean like I actually was just like it was just a little bit like oh whoa like I, I was like if this didn't if this wasn't popular <laughs> I, I was he cared. wouldn't have cared and then he I said that to him and he was like yeah I would have been like well I could have told you how to do it better <laughs> <laughs> but I do think that like no I was more just surprised I was like oh I was a, I was out yesterday. I went on a <laughs> long up. nature hot walk and it just happened when I was gone that I'm like, I wouldn't have been like, if you had been like, I'm going to do it, I would have been like, okay, well no, actually I'll do it now. <laughs> but no, it's actually a little bit like nice and vindicating because it means that the joke and is And it's good. a shared TikTok, by the way, if you want to see it, we, our TikTok is at ASAPSci guys. Um, and yeah, it's fully Greg's idea, full credit. Maybe I can go in and edit it just so people know that it's your joke. 
I'm stealing it. No, that wouldn't make any sense. And uh, it's fine. Besides that, how's it going? Um, <laughs> um Wait, good. No, I'm actually just like thinking about comedy because it's like it doesn't there, exist anymore. It doesn't except exist. on the internet because no one can go to events anymore. <laughs> yeah, well, I was trying like in doing stand up in Toronto, I was trying to figure out how to make science work in a comedy setting. So I just mean I'm like it is kind of interesting because the jokes that I work out in my comedy, when I put them on TikTok, they do really well. And I think it shows that like comedy is a weird science and there is like an art slash science to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and like so it's like as much good. as I'm like, okay, like, well, got home from a little walk and all of a sudden there's a viral. <laughs> it's also a little bit like that is still interesting to me that like when you even look at our TikTok, if you want to, you can. There are m- the ones that are like set up punchline right. do really well. And those are actually based on me, like at least testing and like, the ones that you have performed places. and then found out where people Yeah, because I obviously perform other jokes too that no one laughs at and then I don't do them on TikTok right. and they probably wouldn't work <laughs> if I did on TikTok. It's just actually kind of interesting. And so I am going to, you know, have another glass of orange wine after this and relax and get move on from it. And uh, I'm not think of actually, some other TikToks. <laughs> yeah, like I'm like, there's a world where I'm actually just like, that's cool. That means that that was a good joke. I keep getting fed videos on TikTok that are just jokes about millennials trying to be on TikTok. And I'm like, it's so true. Okay, that's it's so cringy. Actually, like the TikTok <laughs> algorithm. Okay, also algorithms, like we live our lives like hand in hand with algorithms and I do think it's pathetic and sad and bad um, and I just think it's crazy because I'm always like you don't know me to my <laughs> algorithms but like they literally do <laughs> and if I get I, whenever I see those millennials on TikTok like memes. TikToks I'm like oh my god how does it know like it knows why is it a better algorithm than it's just such a fa- it's just such because there's such short videos I can learn about you like you probably watch more TikToks in a day than you watch YouTube videos in a month but it's like if there's not one, not like not just you. I mean, yeah. because they're so short, you flip like a YouTube video. You, I don't know. I don't consume nearly as many because they're much longer. But I can't think of anything actually worse. Like it's like it it is so vapid and it's like, oh, God. Like, And I mean, I guess Vine was too. And I loved Vine. It's just fun. But yeah, there's it's the, such a waste of time. The good though. and bad, right? You can have entertainment is fine. And then it's just a matter of how long do you get sucked into it and then yeah. feel bad about not doing anything. But that can happen with TV. That can happen with the internet and a lot of other places. I think people... That, that's a struggle for a lot of people, especially yeah. being in quarantine when you're kind of like, what? I don't have as much to do. It's so easy to get sucked in by your phone. Um, which kind of ties, oh. yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. ties into today's conversation around, I wonder what being isolated and alone, what impact that will have on people's beliefs and the kinds of videos they come across and then not having as many people to check ideas off of because and obviously I, if you fall for a misinformation or a conspiracy and you're going to the office you're around people you might check in on them more like you might ask someone yeah, and then true. realize oh that person thought that was kind of like stupid or crazy or whatever and then and to move on from that idea but if you're alone but even misinformation on tiktok is actually pro- because it is a harder platform to make any sort of like impact with it's like most it's so short and it's so i don't know like, though people still post like you can post a minute long video and i have seen wait and a minute long video that like makes you think something like conspiracy? yeah well uh, so i had put one of our videos up on tiktok like a minute of it it was about xenobots so there are these little microorganisms that are made out of cell tissue that can move on their own yeah 
right? So I put that up and then I saw some people who react to it because you can see people who react to your videos. And one of them I happened to come across was somebody who was clearly an anti-vaxxer and was using it being like, and you don't think they're going to inject these into you? Like, no wonder we should not be taking vaccines. So people taking information. They're everywhere, aren't they? Mm -hmm. Those little anti-vaxxers. I mean, I like that was just a response like that. I'm trying to say like the actual one minute videos that people are creating are not going to necessarily have the impact that like say the YouTube algorithm and long videos where people are like really really like the music is like swelling and they're actually (laughs) like, you know, creating cinematic videos that are going to actually take advantage of your neurons and maybe persuade you to think something inaccurate there. Like I, I actually think TikTok might have a harder time doing that, but we will talk about that later with uh, someone who's a lot smarter than us. <laughs> All right. Oh, what did we learn this week? Uh, my, mine's not happy. Is there? Oh, happy? mine's happy. Okay, so and second. with that, and with that, okay. Okay, so first. mine's about the Australia fires. Remember when those were the biggest, saddest, <laughs> most awful thing? Remember when climate change was front of a brain before another mm-hmm. global catastrophe? Okay, so. <laughs> In retrospect, air pollution researchers in Australia collected data on the average number of emergency department admissions, like hospitalizations, deaths, to decipher that probably around 400 people from November to February were killed from the Australian bushfires, like air Mm. quality and pollution. Oh, like based, I see. Yeah, so uh, they said there'd be like around 1,305 additional emergency department admissions for asthma attacks happened in that time, and that the haze of the smoke affected around 80% of Australia's 25 million people. And so for wow. some of them, it was weeks at a time, which I think is interesting because that's the type of information you can't really explain in the moment. It's like you have to look back epidemiologically to understand that's happening a lot right now with coronavirus, like looking back on the month of March and thinking like, okay, how many more hospitalizations were there for right. other things? That doesn't make sense. Like maybe the, those other like symptoms might have to do with coronavirus like we don't know right now and it's hard yeah. to know in the moment we can look back maybe even in a year and understand exactly. oh gosh this many more people are dead in march of last year than normally in march yeah. so we can start to make assumptions and i think it's way. like worth talking about because that's the type of scientific information that isn't isn't gonna come out like while it's happening mm-hmm. and so i was like okay that is fascinating and sad and important to know the impact of these fires isn't just the like literal burning fires in the moment it is the pollution, which you know, like when we were all learning about that, obviously we were like, okay, the smoke must be bad, right? Mm-hmm. And now it's like, okay, they're they're putting together that, and on average, these scientists think it was probably 400 people who would have died uh, due to the pollution of the fires, which right. is... Right, and, and who knows the long-term, I mean, I'm sure some people know, but like un unquantitative how do you say this like we won't know necessarily the impact it had on people's long-term lung capacity or people who didn't necessarily die from it but are impacted by that like it's like if you smoke 100 cigarettes what impact you might not die just from smoking 100 cigarettes but it might impact your risk of cancer in the future or 2020 like i know it's like meanie funny jokey jokey but it like it sucks it sucks it's crazy the australia fires like i just am like oh my God, I can't believe that's how we started this year. I know we've said it before on this pod, but like, and it's not a hot take, but oh my God, I can't imagine like in my lifetime looking back on 2020 and thinking anything but like Lord above, Lord with an E. Yeah. That's my impression of Lord. We just have to keep 
moving forward. To try and be optimistic, and then I'll go my happy. Oh, you you're week. in a good mood. Yeah, weirdly, I am today. I guess I think I had a few. I had a few harder days recently. I was just feeling something related to what we're going to talk about with um, today's episode. There is sort of like a conspiratorial video spreading right now about this thing called plandemic and this kind of conspiracy around was this all you I know still intentional don't even... and so it's being i i just like came across it was sent it from some people and saw it all over the internet did not watch the whole thing but just felt utterly exhausted from it yeah. being like there's just so many things and everything feels a little like so out of control sometimes um, and as a science communicator, we want to be able to jump on top of every topic. Like we want to, we talked about the Australian fires. We've talked a lot about, uh, coronavirus. We've talked about all these different issues because, and we have a video about 5g now where we're talking about how it works and the misinformation around that. And it's exciting because we want to be there, but it's also exhausting because you're constantly faced with how information spreads and how bad information spreads. And it can be a little disheartening sometimes when the, it just constantly happens. When, as soon as you answer one thing, it's just like onto the next. And the 5G thing, the research that we did, it, it's, it's so confusing and challenging to understand. Like even for us, like who are, we read scientific journals for a living. Like it was really challenging to get to the bottom and to simplify right. what is going on with 5G. I, you can watch on our YouTube channel. We can't explain it here. You need the visuals. The mm. electromagnetic spectrum is there. One of my favorite things in the world. <laughs> it goes to show as our world becomes more complex. So, you know, we're further and further removed from everything. I have no idea how my phone works or my computer or like in many elements of technology in the internet. And as a result, I feel that people can be taken advantage of more because they actually have no understanding. Like yeah. not, not everyone else like me included how even simple things in our day like i use a phone every day and don't really understand how it works in a lot of ways so it, that can be exploited right and then it's harder to show someone no it's just x y and z it's like no it's a b c d e f g i j i j k like those elements make it work and that just like becomes more complicated i think as society sort of develops further. and as like youtube and these algorithms we talked about off the top continue to push people to more extreme content and mm -hmm. have people's minds literally be pulled in like binary ways. It's mm -hmm. very, but more on that shortly. Yeah. I want to learn about otters. Of... Otters oh, you... are gay. Oh my gosh. You were just cheating. I hate when you look at my You said otter earlier. Or I, I, wasn't I did not. Earlier. Does anyone else feel this way? Like anytime if I'm writing something, even a text, even if it's so simple, nothing harmful or like weird that I don't want to share. Anytime someone reads something over my shoulder, I feel so insecure and hate it. Oh, so sorry. when I'm like, sorry, and I want it to be a surprise, I want to like share it and you not know. And I'm like, stop reading what I'm about. To I also tell feel you. insecure and hate it when people steal my jokes. Yeah. <laughs> I'm getting okay. Um, okay. In the gay community, am I an otter? I don't know. Oh, I don't know either. I guess you kind of are because. But you have I have no hair on my. Yeah, you don't really have a lot of body. I've hair. got hair on my nipples, but I shave them because <laughs> it's like kind of like weird. And you get like a little patch here. Oh yeah, I get a patch, but I leave the patch. <laughs> and I have it's like your I chest have hair. Soul patch. I don't think like. So an otter is not a twink, not a bear. It's like you're a hairy. Are you like? I think an otter is. Uh, this is the gay community, by the way. This is not. Something. Yeah. So a bear <laughs> is like a bigger guy with lots of hair. Like, and like muscly. And sort muscly. Of. And like yeah. back hair. Yeah. Okay. And then an otter is like a smaller version of that. 
Okay. So like typically a hairy guy can still be like fit, but isn't like as big. So you're not an otter because you don't. No, I'm uh, a twink girl. <laughs> oh, shit. He's a twink. I okay. wish there were more words to describe us. Like I want to be like, I'm a, like, I don't necessarily think I'm a twink because I'm 31. <laughs> and when I picture a twink, I picture like Troy Sivan, like being like knocked over by like the wind or something. <laughs> but um, that's, okay. not, that's not shade. Is that shade? That no. wasn't shade. Uh, Troy Svon. Okay, I also am thinking of the science people Svon. listening being like, these gay guys started speaking gibberish. <laughs> like, I don't know what they're saying. Okay, let's talk about real otters okay. then, just to bring everyone on. The <laughs> track. Um, okay, so there was a recent study that came out that was analyzing otters and juggling. So apparently what? otters love to juggle. They take pebbles and they juggle them on their chest. Like juggle, not like literal human juggle, <laughs> but like putting them and bouncing them off their chest and putting them in their hands and bouncing them off their mouth and like playing with okay, pebbles. Okay, they're literally performers. They're like... performers. And so they've always wondered wha- why do they do this behavior? They're not really sure and it's difficult to analyze and study. Uh, and so this research, you know, spent time looking at about 50 different otters of two different species, primarily one species. Uh, and found that they were more likely to be juggling when they were hungry. And so they weren't exactly sure what that meant, but they found whenever the otters were hungry, they would start to play with these little pebbles. And so some (laughs) theories were around, it might actually help to improve their dexterity and motor skills. Like they're almost like getting excited and practicing with their hands and stuff. Cause a lot of otters use their body parts to like, you know, open shellfish and do things like that. That's really cute. Um, They thought maybe the younger ones did it more. Sorry, the younger ones did do it more and they thought that might be because they were actually evolutionarily like developing their skills mm. but the older otters still did it and then they thought maybe it like helps prevent cognitive decline and then i thought that's kind of interesting because maybe even in humans like that's we like ask, when we play sudoku yeah do puzzles or like use using your body keeps your brain stimulated and those neurons active right um but still there was no definitive answer other than that they did it when they were hungry uh one quote i took here was that it could mean that rock juggling was a type of misdirected foraging in other words the hungry otters could be performing the type of dexterous movements they would use when extracting meat from self shellfish but on rocks or pebbles instead so they're just practicing they're literally that's so did you know that like when humans are in parks and doing that like slack slack line thing like when they're like on the rope and it's i'm always like Okay, like is that like Cirque du Soleil <laughs> performers? Like, what's happening? A lot of them are rock climbers. Oh yeah, getting I've their heard feet, that. keeping their feet strength up so that they can like climb like better. Like that's kind of like that is yeah, like what otters true, are doing. Yeah, it's like their version of slack. Use it or lose there. it. You yeah. know what I mean? It's a common phrase. I think yeah, it's so cute. It reminds me of the, actually this is unrelated, but part of this was saying when they they're getting excited, so it's like they're they're releasing like their excitement. Jittery. And it made me think of like Ernie and dogs. Like when we go to the park with Ernie and throw the ball, often when he's in the middle of playing, he'll stop and put the ball on the ground and roll all over it. And just like go crazy and roll on the ground. And I was like, what is that? And I've looked it up and apparently it's because they're like so happy. They're so excited That's that they're just so like, cute. he can't contain it that he has to like roll out on the toy. and on the Sometimes ground. I get excited and like, and like jump and freak out and like break a chair and stuff. <laughs> is that helpful in any That's- way? <laughs> I guess probably not. Oh man. Okay. Well, I think we should go into our interview. Do I'm so agree? excited. This is yeah, an amazing conversation. Really cool. um, one caveat, you know, as we want to start bringing more guests on the podcast and from a distance, we're working on like audio quality and sound. So this was just recorded from our computer. <laughs> See, I'm so nervous. Um, so the quality isn't like the best, but uh, we have it on video too. That will be on the YouTube video. If you want to see us chatting, YouTube channel, Zoom. the YouTube channel. Yeah. Uh, side note podcast, but otherwise we hope you enjoy it. We're still calling this study time. It's all about consistency conspiracies and misinformation and yeah have a nice time listening to it
Study time. Study time. Study time. So we are here with Dr. Joan Donovan, who is the research director on media politics and public policy at Harvard. Harvard, ever heard of it? <laughs> um, she leads can, the field. It's like a t-shirt factory. It's not yeah. really, you know. <laughs> a really good one. <laughs> yeah. um, she leads the field in examining internet and technology studies, online extremism, media manipulation, and disinformation campaigns. So we are going to chat to her today about 5G and how that ties into those fields. Thank you so much for being here, Dr. Donovan. Thanks for having me. It's always fun to talk to you. For sure. Yeah, you've helped us a lot with a lot of videos. Um, uh, I really feel like now we are deep into researching and thinking about 5G. So we would love to sort of understand, like, when did you start to realize that there was misinformation coming out about 5G? Or like, how long have you been sort of thinking about 5G in regards to the uh, so 5G had gotten on my radar. I would, I should say that um, the, uh, the, the, gr the group of activists that are dealing with electromagnetic fields is something that I first encountered in 2011 when I was researching and part of uh, the Occupy movement. So there were groups of activists in LA that were showing up saying, the smart meters are listening to you. They are affecting you in different ways. And these smart meters were the new electrical meters being put on everybody's house. Mm. And they were saying that they had bad health effects and what, and uh, because Occupy was such a, an open brand in a way, there was so many different subsets of movements within it. It was really hard to understand, you know, where everybody was coming from, but it was a big tent. But as I was working with activists uh, on this conference calling platform called InterOccupy, the longest standing phone call that we had had, and this went on for years, was from the electromagnetic activists. And they were small groups in different areas that were pretty densely uh, networked and were sharing strategies on how to uh, get cities and towns to rezone or to remove different um, towers, radio towers, cell phone towers, to lobby against um, public Wi-Fi, for instance. And so as 5G came up as a technology that's being rolled out, we've actually seen quite a bit of activism around getting 5G to be removed from certain areas and to be, um, you know, anti-5G in, in a kind of NIMBY, like not in my backyard style campaign. Where it's touched off with COVID was just completely remarkable and not something I had really expected. But uh, as we look at the ways in which scientific uncertainty is guiding our uh, information seeking, now I can see why 5G might show up in a lot of people's feeds because it is, uh, you know, a, a Missing, it is health misinformation, but it's being poffered by a bunch of different groups. And so we're seeing something that was really a cottage uh, sort of activist theory really start to populate the whole the whole city and town now. <laughs> <laughs> That's a funny analogy. Like, is that is that a way that you guys describe things like a cottage activist? Or well, sometimes I'm just like you know we've got these little things that are. Um, important in these fringe communities and 
usually you don't take action on them or you don't disrupt them if they're not, um, you know, particularly harmful. Like there's nothing wrong with people believing that radio waves are harming them. What's wrong is if they decide that they're going to burn down a tower, for instance, which is something that we have seen happen recently. Yeah, I've seen that in the news quite a bit. So is that in relation to coronavirus, has that sort of excelled what, like that information coming into the public sphere and the mainstream public sphere, was that kind of the impetus for like the recent drive to talk about 5G? I should say that the talk about 5G is, is one of several different explanations for COVID-19 that are um, really about environmental concerns and not necessarily about human biology, physiology, like the way that, so if you can uh, imagine a virus has a particular disease pathology, there are ways in which we scientifically understand a virus and then there's ways we treat it. So there's medicines that we use that have become uh, political footballs in a way, like around hydroxychloroquine. It's one of many clinical trials. Uh, it's going to take a time for us to know which treatments work. Downstream of that, there's the development of uh, vaccines, not just a vaccine, but vaccines. And there's the development of antibody testing and the potential for antibody testing to be um, much more prevalent and, and easy, easy to do. So in the midst of all of those scientific debates, and they're not controversies, they're just, you know, time, it's going to take time to resolve them. You have something like 5G come up and it becomes a convenient explanation that allows some activists whose end game isn't necessarily uh so the end so let me explain it by the the end game of anti-vaxxers for for instance is to make sure no one is mandated to get a vaccine so if you accept the theory that 5g is the cause of covid19 hmm. then the only course of action that's logical is removing 5g towers hmm. so getting a vaccine wouldn't matter Right. And so when we see health misinformation be seeded across the Internet in this way, we have to be mindful of the fact that it is a political opportunity for some. And so uh, the thing that becomes dangerous about this is that, yes, we are seeing uh, and hearing reports of telephone line workers, for instance, being harassed, um, who are installing different technologies, sometimes not even 5G, they're just working on the telephone lines. Uh, and then there's been instances of, of sabotage. So when like doing research about this 5G, sort of in many ways there's conspiracy theories, but there is sort of, you know, there's scientific consensus and stuff. And uh, again, watch our video at this point, the video will be out with a lot more of the actual technical information about uh, like radio frequency waves. I was surprised how, and I actually sent it to you, um, challenging it really is to speak about uh, 5G in a way that doesn't instill fear, but also, you know, gives an accurate representation of what's going on. So I kind of want to pick your brain on this because, so for example, like, 
when you actually do the research, you realize that radio frequency waves, especially the ones that involve the 5G, 4G, 3G, like they do not cause cancer. Uh, they do not cause coronaviruses. That is like scientifically pretty sound. Like there's a scientific consensus around that. But there is, you know, some studies here and there that are like, you know, very small kind of. There's one, for example, uh, in rats where <laughs> like the male rats are exposed prior to even being born for two years with radio frequencies. And there's an uptick in some specific uh, tumors. But then those rats actually end up living longer than the other rats. Like when you really read it, you realize, okay, if you're going to cherry pick this information, it's not really making your point towards 5G. But I sent an article to you in Scientific American where they talk about this. And it's, it's, it would be really hard if you wanted to believe that 5G was causing this to find information that was going to make you feel like it wasn't because there is enough confusing information out there saying that it does. What is your opinion, sort of, as someone who has to think about these things, which is, like, so challenging, I understand, about that sort of, like, gray line and, like, what sort of, I don't know, like, tactics? I just want to hear you talk about it, honestly, because I don't want to ask you to solve yeah. it. <laughs> no, no. The solution is to turn off the internet and live your life. Or, <laughs> right? I mean, so here, here's the deal, which is misinformation is especially potent because, it's often framed in this uh, skeptical, like what they quote unquote don't want you to know. And for different communities, they is different. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two year contracts, they said, What the f are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. So anti-vaxxer communities, they is big pharma. Um, for the white supremacists that I study, they is Jewish people, right? So they have code words like globalist uh, that they'll use to, to cr make criticisms of, of Jewish people, and it's very anti-Semitic. But in these frames of what they don't want you to know, it can be, you know, clickbaity headlines that really, you know, draw you in. So what they don't want you to know about 5G or what they don't want you to know about 5G and coronavirus, right, is just a different spin on the same kind of topic. Um, what it's really hard to do is prove a lie or a conspiracy false because conspiracies often have some kind of kernel of truth that you can you are quickly led back to especially online where they will use very specific keywords that you might pick up on when you're reading and and you know want to investigate more so you do 5G plus coronavirus and then you find a bunch of articles that say 5G causes coronavirus but if you were just looking up 5G for instance you might not end up in that same rabbit hole. 
And when it comes to journalists or science journalists in particular trying to vet these things, uh, there is always going to be more misinformation than there is uh, scientific evidence. Why? Information is incredibly cheap to produce. Sometimes it just comes out of your head and through your fingers and onto the internet. And knowledge is really expensive. I, I run a multi-million dollar research operation. It is no joke how much money it costs to debunk these things. Think about um, journalists, right? Journalists who are on the beat of disinformation. That's a decision the news organization has to say to say, disinformation is so important for us to cover that we're gonna dedicate an, an immense amount of resources and people power to it. And unfortunately, the internet has really opened up this opportunity where you have to then create knowledge about things that are untrue right? You have, you have to constantly try to keep up with it. Uh, because there every single day, there will be someone who will go online and be like, you know what, the earth is totally flat. And I believe that and here's 10 reasons why. Mm -hmm. And they'll show you a picture of the ocean, they'll show you, show you a picture of their street corner. And they'll say, I don't see any curvature of the earth. I don't get you people. And then, you know, other people toss it back to them and say, I'm going to debate you. Here's a picture of the earth from space. And they're like, space doesn't exist. And you're just like, but what? <laughs> and they're like, well, you know, I haven't been to space. And so you're like, I get it. Neither have I, but also like science, please. Right. Um, and so we get caught in these circles, of course, that go on forever and ever and ever. Um, and of course I'm referring to circling the drain here at this point. Um, but yeah, there's going to be a lot of challenges with getting at scientific information, given the structure of the internet and be people beginning their searches sometimes on social media rather than on uh, academic or other kinds of databases. The only other caveat I'll add here, which kind of drives me nuts as an academic, is how accessing academic research is also really expensive. Uh, as you know, and so um, I am often, you know, someone who someone will send me a request for a, a study because they're, you know, a journalist will say, I want to read this, but it says it costs $65 to access, right? And so um, we often get, we're often kind of stuck by the fact that knowledge is not just expensive to produce, but it's expensive to consume as well. And that has really left us in a double bind um, online. That's a really fascinating point. We have lots of people asking us to talk about that right now in regards to scientific information, open access, like reading Nature Magazine and Science Magazine. They're devoting so much time to talking about this, but it's so funny every week I read it and I'm like, there's not enough action around this happening. Like well, that's even, really interesting. Like we need to have public access to this information. Even even some news journalistic websites like New York Times or like they've had to decide whether or not they would make coronavirus information free even when they have paid services. Like uh -huh. it is interesting that even not even like not below, but you know, you have your studies and your peer reviewed research that costs money, but then sometimes you even have your journalistic access that costs money especially in a pandemic when everyone's searching for the right answers and wants to go to a good source, but there might be a socioeconomic divide. Is that, is there a socioeconomic economic divide between like having access to information and a link between conspiracies and 
these ideas? Uh, yeah, there is definitely um, a huge, I, I'm not going to say that I know the demographics of who's in which conspiracy theory camp, but I will say this, which is that um, the advertising industry online has by and large moved to platforms and to Google. And as a result, um, places like local newspapers, like national newspapers that would rely on advertising dollars to make their, uh, their content free uh, can't. They have to have subscription fees. They have to have paywalls. What that does, though, is it really creates a situation where people do share free things. And so if you can get a, the same topic from a free source, you may share that. For instance, like people share things from The Guardian because it is uh, free and open and you don't have to have a subscription to it. Um, and, you know, the sort of news model or business model approach to the news right now uh, is in dire straits. And when we're in a pandemic like this and people are going to need to know not just what's happening with COVID-19, but the economic recovery, what access to relief services that they're going to need to have on top of um, sort of the geopolitics of of this whole this whole mess um we do need better access to um news that is is well infrastructured and and is is well reported uh but we can't do that with the current setup uh economically with the way in which google and facebook and twitter siphon so much of the ad dollars away from the news markets. And I'm, I'm, you know, I'm always perplexed by why this happens, but I should say one other thing about Google search, which is essentially that Google search returns to you things that are fresh and relevant and usually things that are free. And the, the issue with that is like Google search is pretty much a dumpster for content that has failed to be monetized in other ways. And so our mm. scientific information, our academic journals, our medical information, our, uh, new, our high quality news organizations, all of this stuff is monetized because it was expensive to make. Even music and movies, you know, we've really moved into I'm, I'm from the days of old where you steal an MP3 and a movie and not feel guilty about it. Uh, but those industries have had to build uh, a centralization mechanisms for circulating um, MP, you know, music and movies. But right now news doesn't really have that kind of uh, centralized mechanism for, for cost sharing. That's fascinating. Cause I think we talk about, a lot like having you know being on youtube we think a lot about how youtube has been a really big and had a big impact on disinformation and all these things like so we think about this a lot but i never really thought about the actual like sort mm, of cost. The flow of money yeah. yeah and i and i yeah i wonder if like when it comes to something like 5g or even like any misinformation or disinformation that is out there 
do you, like, I'm just thinking about even how Google Scholar is like a separate thing you have to use on Google. Do you see like, trying to think of actionable items, like, is it not smart to have like all the Google Scholar? Like, <laughs> I'm just trying to think like, what are yeah. we can actually like think about actually changing this? Like, is that something that is interesting? Yeah, I mean, platform design, it's it's funny because when, when platforms talk about um, misinformation, they use this model called ABC, actors, behavior, content. And I'm just like, no, it's ABCD, which is actors, behavior, content, design, right? And so, like, let's get frank about YouTube which is to say that your videos are served alongside all kinds of other nonsense. So you will make a video about 5G and there's really not gonna be any demarcation between your very you know, well-researched and measured take against uh, you know, the lunatic fringe that is just gonna be like, hey, listen, 5G is killing everyone and I'm dead and I'm doing this from beyond the grave, right? <laughs> that's popular. If it's popular, right. then it's, it's going to be circulated in the same networks. As a researcher, I have worked tirelessly to get YouTube to see the flaws in their curation strategies around certain topics, especially around uh, racial, racial attacks and network harassment, especially when it comes to white supremacists using YouTube. And what's interesting about the whole, the, the last, you know, at least decade of YouTube has been the fight from content creators to get paid, right? It was a big fight to get YouTube to say, we recognize that we provide absolutely no help to anyone <laughs> and they provide content for free. And then we put ads on top of that and we make a ton of revenue. And it wasn't sufficient for content creators to just be like, well, they let us put our videos up for free. That's great. Right. And so the fight to get paid for what you do was a labor issue and it was, it was a battle. What that led to though was certain kinds of, um, shock jock style shows, live streams that were heavily monetized, were abusing the super chat function, were using them to organize network harassment campaigns, and YouTube wasn't really doing anything about it because it was, um, because it was, a, you know, the technology, the content wasn't uh, necessarily something they were willing to look at. Um, so we are in we are in an issue now where around 5G where YouTube is going to be part of a pipeline of disinformation. That is to say that things might not be necessarily popular on YouTube in terms of people searching for it and clicking on it on YouTube, but it could be in these fringe communities that YouTube is basic infrastructure and they can host their shows, they can host their uh, guest speakers, they can evolve their conspiracy theories, and maybe the video only ever gets, you know, 50, 60,000 views or something. Uh, but that still is really significant in light of the fact that, um, you know, sometimes for some small market news places, rural news places, that's, that's their entire mm -hmm. viewership. So, you know, YouTube is also a place where we need to consider them 
as uh, we need to get them to consider their curation strategy, especially around disinformation. Yeah, I was going to ask, do you think that is a bigger part of the question, like the institutions taking that sort of step or responsibility? And, and how would you compare that to, you mentioned how it, it costs so much money to create data and information to debunk conspiracies, right? And we even spend time being like, hey, we're going to try and collect this data to debunk these conspiracies that are out there. Is that seen as a successful strategy or does that further enhance the messages of the conspiracy in the first place? Like, is there any, is there any studies or research on actually not debunking them and just ignoring them? Yeah, Whitney Phillips uh, is a researcher at Syracuse University has a really great free paper out called The Oxygen of Amplification. And the metaphor I think is really apt here to think about when you give air to something that is already very um, inflamed, right? Some, an issue that's already kind of on fire. What you do is, is it spreads more quickly into more audiences. And when we were thinking about the design of that paper and the research that would need to go into it, we were really thinking about the ways in which a very fringe community like the alt-right uh, was existing online, but was relatively quarantined from the rest of the internet because it was just not that popular. But the moment that journalists started paying attention to the alt-right in the 2016 presidential campaign, particularly right after Hillary Clinton mentioned them, and we had Steve Bannon also, you know, but at Breitbart, you know, putting the alt-right into the headlines, we had a real, uh, a real wildfire on our hands, especially um, when it comes to these, these folks. And a lot of journalists that Whitney interviewed didn't quite understand the consequences of what they were doing when they were interviewing people from the alt-right. So avowed white nationalists or ethno nationalists, identitarians, however you want to call it, they were getting column inches in the New York Times and things like this. Yeah. And one of the things that we've struggled with is thinking about like when you do highlight an individual uh, and allow them to have a new forum to propagate their viewpoint, that they do take advantage of it, that they do uh, sort of pepper their responses with dog whistles back to their community. Here I'm thinking about the um, Nazi next door article that was in the New York Times that um, where they did a profile of a, a young man who was a, a white supremacist and he was just basically pushing back on the title of white supremacist but at the same time was using code words uh, to let people know that he was in the know with these uh, more anonymous message board communities. So yes, there is uh, a problem with giving oxygen to, th to, to especially to individuals who are, uh, have a political motivation for doing what they're doing. But at the same time, once things start to travel out of those fringe communities into popular press, across platforms, those are the thresholds that we look at as researchers to say, all right, people are looking for an explanation now. 
and we got to give it to them and we got to do it in a way that's responsible. So obviously one of the ways that uh, that is done is with um, more measured takes, uh, what's called the truth sandwich. You say something that's true about it, you explain what the falsities are, and then you say, you restate the truth. And so there are strategies that at least journalists have started to use to report on misinformation that then can be a place that people can share these debunks and feel more safe about engaging in conversation. The trouble, I think, with conspiracy theories that are a little bit different from fringe communities is they're, they're sort of mimetic in a way. They, they separate themselves from an author. That is, they start, to have, they start to be ideas in the wild that have no real anchor to them or no mm. place where you're like, oh, I remember who's the champion of 5G causing coronavirus. Like, nobody remembers who the champion is of this. And so our job isn't to go find that person. Our job is to just talk about what the theory is and, and give people the tools to think critically. That truth sandwich thing is really helpful, mm -hmm. I think, for us because mm -hmm. like science is something that is really challenging to um, compete against like really um, ridiculous titles or like thinking about YouTube. It's like, yeah, like it's always about what is like giving someone an emotional reaction so that they click. And we talk a lot about how when you really get into the science of truly anything, it becomes very nuanced. It becomes very unexciting. <laughs> like, sometimes we make videos, you know, like with um, like in, with a company or with someone and, and then you get a lot of notes at the end being like, well, you didn't really answer the question. Like, could you get something a little more? Could you like, change the end? <laughs> yeah, we're like, well, no, that's because there's no, there's no like sexy answer to this. And I think truth sandwich is like an interesting thing for us to think about. Whereas sometimes I think we panic and we're like, how do we get this information to sort of like rest with people, you know, knowing that it's kind of nuanced and like, we don't really want to give too much time to this sort of like you're saying, like um, conspiracy theories or like fringe ideas, but that's like, just like starting confidently with the science, then maybe addressing it and then ending confidently with the science. It's like a nice way for us to think about it. And maybe people listening to think about how they can talk to people. Cause I think that is a lot of the times people who are likely listening to this are thinking about how can they contribute and help. And I think that's, yeah, and I think that there's also something to be said about compassionate listening in this moment where people are, even if people are explaining to you that, oh, it might be 5G, listen to what their actual fear is, mm -hmm. right? Their fear is one of, we don't know where this is coming from. I can't see it. Uh, the other day, my mother-in-law was saying, it would be better if it were just giant spiders. Like if we could just see it, <laughs> I would know what it was. And I would say, okay, don't go over there. Yeah, right? And that... That I'm makes not, sense to people. So 5G being invisible, it almost becomes almost like a metaphor, like an allegory for the virus itself, right? Is that it's, it, you know, and if, if you can then imagine that it's coming from a tower, then there's like only one, you know, one way to get rid of it, right? In this, uh, I don't know, I'm, in this moment, I've been very nostalgic. So I've been watching old movies, which I highly recommend rewatching Empire Records. But Oh. Another one that's been a favorite is Tremors. So this idea I love Tremors. <laughs> there's something about these earthquakes that just don't make any sense. Right? <laughs> if they were just giant man-eating worms. <laughs> <laughs> that would make sense. <laughs> that would make sense, right? And uh, yeah, and I think that, you know, in this moment, watching some sci-fi uh, might help us, uh, you know, get back to reality. Well, that's great advice. Thank you so much, Joan. Mm -hmm. 
We love talking to you. We think it's fascinating. I feel like we could talk forever. Like you have such, I feel like everything you've said, I've just, even that connection between like advertising dollars moving between different companies and industries. Disinformation is cheap. Yeah. I only (laughs) have one last question because we get asked this often because we have talked about misinformation before and conspiracies like thanks to your help. But people are always like, okay, what can individuals do when they, you know, people are searching and trying to do their own research to find answers. Mm -hmm. How does an individual behave in times like these when they are being preyed on by fear tactics? And if they do search Google, they actually might come across some of these sources that are really good at designing themselves to look legitimate. Maybe that source even truly does believe it's legitimate. I don't know, like, I kind of, it's just such a weird question because it's like, yeah, I understand why an individual doesn't necessarily want to or know how to read a proper journal um or like a science paper and so it's, it just becomes this question of like how on the individual level can we can we help yeah i mean on the individual level i think the real thing is about maintaining your credibility right and so there's that meme of uh yeah, it's the woman at the computer and it's like, honey, I can't come to bed right now. Someone's wrong on the internet. <laughs> Just don't do that. <laughs> don't, like, it's not up to you. You don't have to debunk on, you know, grandma every chance you get. Listen to people, understand what their fears are and, and try to get them to, to rationalize what is most likely uncertain science and uncertain times. And this is an inc- like a pandemic is an, an incredible anomaly. You know, usually you can, and, you know, doctors could, you know, aren't the first person that's dealt with this thing. And so usually there's ways in which the scientific community can check in with one another. If someone's been through an epidemic, you know, of Ebola, for instance, that information and that knowledge can transfer. But we don't have a generation of scientists and um doctors that have been through a pandemic, right? Or governors that have been through a pandemic. And so there's not this, uh, you know, authoritative knowledge transfer uh, that can happen. The only thing we can do is look to history, look to science and, and look to one another to say, well, what can I do to make sure, you know, maybe you only think about today for right now, as you say, what can I do today? to make sure the people in my community and my family are getting through uh, and getting by here. And so there's been some really interesting mutual aid networks that have popped up in different areas. Um, But the other thing that's been something that uh, even my therapist has, Mm -hmm. has recommended is to limit your news intake to, you know, less than an hour a day, pick a channel that you like, potentially your local news station, watch it, know what's happening in your area, know what the global trends are, but don't become overwhelmed with uh, all of the questions and all of the, the direness of, of what's happening. Uh, because that too can affect your mental health, can make you feel really isolated, and then can make you susceptible to believing things that you probably don't even need to be thinking about. Right. Right. For most of us, the 5G thing, if it's happening, you know, like, what is the action you're going to take on this? Probably nothing. Right. So why, you know, why are you concerning yourself with it? And think about that if you start to find yourself going down a rabbit hole. The one other rabbit hole I would suggest that people 
stay out of for now because the science is, is in flux is around the vaccine. So there's been lots and lots of propagation of conspiracy theories about Bill Gates and the WHO, mm -hmm. uh, particularly one around a vaccine that is going to be a microchip that's inserted into you, like, you know, we microchip dogs. No, 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 that's not happening. So uh, as people continue to bump into this misinformation or see it in their social media feeds, just be mindful that um, if it doesn't really show up in reputable news spaces, don't take it on faith. Um, and that there's nothing you're going to learn from social media that is going to be so important in the moment that you are going to change your behavior on a dime. Mm. Right. And so just be mindful that like, if you're subject to a phishing scam that says, you know, click here and get health insurance for 20 bucks, don't do it. Right. There's no good scam. There's no good sales right now. There's no good um, things to invest in and, you know, certainly not gold and silver. So just be really mindful of the fact that there's a lot of grift and there's a lot of uh, uncertainty and, and we have to be measured in our approach, even if it's just like, hey, for the next 12 hours, I'm not going to freak out. Mm -hmm. That's really, really great advice because I feel that even as people who are trying to like understand the truth, like we can slip into that as well, where you're just like kind of getting scared or infuriated or whatever. So I really appreciate that. I'm going to take that. Stop reading the news so much. <laughs> um, thank you so thank you. much for taking time to chat to us and our audience. We really, really appreciate it. Where can people find you if they want to? Yeah. So if you want to find out what we're doing, uh, we're at the Shorenstein Center. So you can look up Shorenstein Center Technology and Social Change Research Project. Um, the other thing is I write quite a bit and I post things to Twitter at um, my handle there is Boston Joan. So invite people to engage with me. Uh, just don't troll me because I don't <laughs> respond. I just mute you. You don't even know I can't see you. It's not <laughs> well, thank Amazing. you so, so much. We really appreciate thank all you. of your work and helping us do what we do. So thank you. It's been great talk chatting and let's do it again soon. For sure. Bye. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. 
There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com.